Good morning again to you. It is great to be here with you this morning. You know, today um, we are starting a new series this morning in the book of Romans from Romans chapter 12 called A New Kind of Community. And if you've been attending Crosspoint for a while, you know that we've been in the book of Romans for since September and we're taking our time going through this great letter of the New Testament. And today we're going to kind of shift gears and um, we're going to start talking about this new kind of community that God has called his church. And Romans 12 gives us really an awesome description of what local churches should look like and what they should be like. And so that's what we're going to start exploring over the next few weeks. And another thing you know, if you've been attending Cross Point for a little while, is that we keep telling you to invite people to church, especially to our one-year anniversary, which is next week. It's going to be an awesome Sunday, an awesome celebration service, great time of uh, just hanging out afterwards, good food and all of that. And it's kind of funny, I've been talking to a bunch of you about this, uh, you know, about, you know, inviting people and stuff, and I don't feel like I've put pressure on, on any of you, but, um, you know, I, I get some some funny reactions from, from people about that. And I've noticed that, I, I, I realize a lot of you haven't invited anybody to the one-year anniversary. And I want you to know that's okay. You shouldn't feel guilty. I don't want you to feel guilty. That's not at all what this is about. Too many people feel guilty in church, and that's not good. And so I don't want you to feel guilty because here's, here's something I know. That if there are people who you know who aren't going to church on a regular basis, there's a reason for that. There's a good reason for it. They're not going to church because um, it's probably because they don't hate the church. Most people don't hate the church and they don't love the church. Most people are just indifferent to the church. You know, there's this sort of collective yawn when they hear about church. It's just not relevant to their life. And I understand that. And I understand what a daunting task it can be to invite those people to church because they don't, they just don't seem to care about that. Why should I go to church? I get it. I understand why that would be a little intimidating to invite someone like that to church. And, and those are the kinds of people that, quite frankly, I've, I'm inviting to church. And I'll talk about that a little later. But I understand, you know, how that can be hard. And maybe one of the reasons that some of you haven't invited anyone to church is because you're a little indifferent to it. You know, you, you probably come on a, some people maybe come on a Sunday morning, they come regularly. And they get, they get their dose of encouragement and, and hope and, and fellowship with other, other Christians and, and all of that. And, and they go home, but they don't feel comfortable inviting other people because they don't, they don't want to maybe push, you don't want to push your beliefs and your lifestyle onto others, right? And you feel like you might be doing that if you invited your friends to church. But, but here's, here's, something you should know, and you probably already know this, is that you and I don't have a problem pushing our beliefs and lifestyle onto people when we're excited about something. We don't have a problem when we're excited about something. When you and I are excited about something, we just tell people about it. We don't really care what they think. We just tell them about it because we're excited about it, because we believe that they should know about this thing, because it's good, and, and you're excited and so I think that, that you should be excited about what's going on in your gospel community, 
in, in your church. You should be excited about what's going on. And the reason that you should be excited, and I'm just going to talk about this for the whole morning, really. The reason you should be excited about inviting people to your church is because this is where transformation happens. This is where people experience lasting life change. It's in community with others. Because community, transformation is a community project. That's what we're going to talk about this morning, and that's what we're going to talk about over the course of this whole series, is that if you want to experience transformation in your life, it's going to happen in community. That's what God has said. That's the context that God has designed for transformation. And you know what? Most people know that. Whether they believe in God, whether they are part of a church or not, most people already know that transformation is a community project. In fact, um, if you want to experience transformation in your body, then that's how it most likely will happen. Um, If you try to change your body in isolation from other people, and you want to experience long-term total body transformation, that's not going to happen on your own. You almost have probably a less than 1% chance that that will happen. Because transformation is a community project. And that's why when, when you see a show like um, The Biggest Loser, for example, they put all those contestants on a ranch. And they put them, and they actually live together for months. And they know they, the reason they do that is because they know that if they separated everyone and everyone was, was trying to achieve their goal in isolation, they wouldn't succeed. And so they put them together because they know that transformation happens in community. That's why when you... Um, with some of you, you know, you, you start a workout program like P90X or Insanity or um, some great Richard Simmons program or something like that. The first thing that they want you to do when you sign up for a program like that is they want you to connect to the online community or some local class at the gym so that you can do that program with other people because they know that transformation happens in community. They know that. And that's why they push you to do that. When I turned 40, which was over a year ago now, I decided I needed to make some lifestyle changes. I, I wanted to start eating healthier and become active and get in shape. And people in their 50s have been telling me that that will pass and I'll go back to what I used to be. But here's the thing. When I first became a pastor back in 2003, my first two years, I gained like 30 pounds. And I was like, wow, if this continues... In five years, I'll be 300 pounds. And so I, you know, I started making some adjustments. And then when I came back on staff at this church in 2012, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to let this happen again. Because I know that going, I, I was, I was, I had an active job. I was a stone fabricator for five years. And I was a very active job and I was pretty fit. And then I knew I was going to be transitioning into this very sedentary job where I would be sitting more and eating more and very well-intentioned people would be offering me delicious high-calorie foods on a regular basis and and saying, Pastor Dave, have you tried these cookies yet? Pastor Dave, would you take this cake home? You will eat this, right? Pastor Dave, have you tried this delicious pie? I mean, literally putting this food in my face, it happens all the time. I don't want to be rude, so I feel like I have to eat it. And so I I told myself, I'm not going to let that, (laughs) I'm not going to let that get the best of me. And so I uh, I started, you know, this program and I downloaded this app on my phone called my Fitness Pal. And my Fitness Pal allows you to to log your 
calorie intake and what kinds of calories you're eating. And, and you, you know this, right? That it's not really about how many calories you consume. It's really about the kinds of calories you consume. And so I'm able to do that through my fitness pal. And it's just like getting out of debt. If you want to get financially healthy, you have to, the first thing you have to do is you have to know where your money's going, where it's coming from and where it's going. And that's sort of what my fitness pal allows you to do with calories. And so I started doing this. And the first thing they, do, they, tell you, they want you to do is to, is to join. You're not going to be able to see this, but I'm going to. They have this thing called community. And I click on this. And there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of groups, okay, that I can join of people who I'll never meet, but they have the same goal that I have. So if you're a cycler, you can join the cy- a cycling group, one of dozens and dozens of cycling groups. If you're a runner, you can join the running group. If you love Richard Simmons, you can join the Richard Simmons group. And if you want to look like Sylvester Stallone did in Rocky IV, you can join that group. There's groups for anything you would imagine. You can join that group, and, and you can share your progress and all of that with those complete strangers. And, and, and they, they want you to do that, and these people all do it because... They understand that transformation is a community project. Now, 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 two questions come to mind. The first one is, why would anyone want to change their diet? And I know some of you are asking this question, because my wife asked me this question. Why would you want to eat less food, and not only less food, but more expensive food that has less flavor? Okay, because that's what you've you got to do, pretty much. And why on top of that would, would you want to start working out and exercising four or five or six days a week to exhaustion, have your muscles be sore all the time, and sacrifice all the energy and time and all those hours? Why would someone do that? The reason is transformation. We want transformation. At least some people do. They want that kind of transformation. And so you, you've all seen the pictures, right? You've seen the pictures that, that, that they, they want to sell you this transformation. They show you a picture of side by side, the same person, when they started. And when they start, the picture is always, they look miserable, like a miserable mound of fatty flesh. And they're wearing hardly anything. It's gross and disgusting. And then the picture right next to that, is after they finish the program and they look so happy and fit, they look like a different person. And that's what sells. It's transformation. People who want transformation, they, they say, I want that. I, I want that. And I'll go through, I'll run through a wall to get that. I'll, go, I'll do everything you tell me to do. I'll work hard. I'll eat less. I'll eat terrible tasting food so that I can experience that kind of transformation. And then the second question is, why would those same people join a community, link up with a community of complete strangers for the duration of that period of time? The answer is because transformation is a community project. Now, if there's something that we've learned over the last six months in our journey through the, Paul's letter to the Romans, it's that transformation is something that God does. God is the one who changes people on the inside. God is the one. Nobody can change themselves. Nobody can change their fundamental identity. You know, who you are as a person. Nobody can change who you are on the inside. You just can't do that. You can't forge or fabricate a new identity before God. You can't change who you are from the inside out. You can change who you are from the outside in. You can. It's very hard. It's very difficult. It's a grueling process. 
But nobody can change themselves from the inside out. That's what, that's what uh, the Apostle Paul has been telling us. God has to do that. God is the one who does that, who, who changes people. He's the one who sends his Holy Spirit to, to live in people and awaken them to, to the reality of God. He's the one who, who sent his son Jesus to die on the cross and to forgive our sins. And he's the one who gives us the faith to say, yes, I trust you, God. I trust in your promises. I will follow you. God is the one who does all of that. We can't take credit for that. God is responsible for any kind of lasting character change, spiritual change that we experience in our lives. Nobody can change themselves. And today, we, we arrive at a turning point in, this, in the book of Romans where we get to chapter 12. And chapter 12 is where the Apostle Paul goes from unpacking all of the amazing truths about what God has done to rescue us and to make us right with him, to transform us from the inside out. And now we're going to shift direction and we're going to focus on what we, should, what we are supposed to do and who we should be as a result of everything that God has done. In other words, it's almost like chapter 12 is, is, is God saying, because these things are true, this is the kind of people you should be. That's really what chapter 12 is about. Because all of these things are true, this is the kind of people that you should be as my church, my people. In other words, transformation is a community project. That's what, that's what chapter 12 is about, I think. And so, if you have your Bibles, you can follow along with me. I'm just going to read the first two verses in, in Romans chapter 12 this morning. And we're just going to talk about those. And I'll, I'll have the, the verse on the screen behind me. You can follow along there as well. And this is what we read in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice... Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So, transformation, what we're talking about today, begins. By keeping God's mercies in view. Did you catch that? That's the first thing that, that we're told. The apostles appealing to us to keep God's mercies in view. Well, what are God's mercies? What are those exactly? Well, it's pretty much everything that he's laid out for us in the first 11 chapters of this letter. And so I, I want to walk you through that really quickly. Everything that we've talked about over the last six months. In chapters 1 through 3... God's mercy is seen in his patience with all people, where we're told that everyone has fallen short of the glory of God, but that God has made a way for people to be cleansed and forgiven and free from their sin. We didn't deserve that. Nobody deserves that. But God has shown us grace by giving us the most awesome gift imaginable, his only son. That's chapters 1 through 3. That's mercy. Chapter 4, God's mercy is seen as sinners are justified by faith in his promises and declared by God to be not guilty. Through faith, God declares a sinner to be not guilty and totally righteous. Merely through faith, by trusting in his promises, by trusting in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's chapter 4. Chapter 5, God's mercy is seen in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. 
which means that God did not wait for us to get right with him or to turn our lives around before he would accept us. God changed us first. God accepts us first, and then we experience change. Isn't that amazing? God doesn't wait for us to turn our lives around. He doesn't wait for us to cleanse ourselves because we can't. God changes us. He washes us. He cleanses us through faith. Because of what Jesus did. And that makes us right with him. And then we experience change. That's what we're told in chapter 5. Chapter 6 and 7. God's mercy is experienced as he unites us to Jesus. He makes us one with Jesus through faith. So that the death Jesus died, we died. So that the resurrection, that when Jesus rose again, we rose to new life. And we are united to Jesus in his death and resurrection. And God, through our union to Christ moved us out from under the domain of sin and out from under the power of sin, and he transferred us into a new domain, a new kingdom where grace and life rule. That's all by God's mercy. In chapter 8, remember chapter 8? What an amazing chapter. God's mercy means that there's now no condemnation ever again for those who belong to Christ. For those who are in Christ and nothing can separate us from God's love, because of God's mercy, we've been adopted into his family and we can now relate to God as our father. We can call him our father and he will never punish us for our sin. He may discipline us, but he will never punish us because he loves us. We belong to him now. He has secured our place in his family. In chapters 9 through 11, God's mercy is shown in his gracious inclusion of the Gentiles into his family so that God's people now are called from every tribe and every language and every nation. God's mercy is given to all who call on him for help and rescue, no matter what your past looks like, no matter what racial or ethnic family or uh, background you have, no matter what your family background is like, no matter how shameful your past is, no matter how many times you've failed, God's grace is available to you. How is that possible? God's mercy. It's all about the mercies of God. And the Apostle Paul is pleading with us in chapter 12 to keep God's mercies in view. Don't forget about the mercy of God. That is the key to transformation. That's what he's saying. We have to remember all of God's mercies to us. So how do you do that? Well, you can do it by yourself. You can. You can you can keep God's mercies in view when you're alone, when when you're you're reading God's word or praying, your quiet time, whatever that looks like. You can do it that way. You can do it with your family. You can you can do that in your family setting. You can help each other, encourage each other to keep to remember God's mercy, remember what God has done. But the best place for you to keep God's mercies in view is in a new kind of community. A community of people who love God and who love each other and who gather together and worship together and remind each other over and over and over again what God has done in Jesus Christ. In other words, we need to preach to each other. We need to to preach the gospel to one another. We need to remind each other of the good news of Jesus on a regular basis. And, And so here's what that means. For me, if I'm struggling, which I struggle... I struggle on a regular basis. When I'm, when I'm struggling, when I'm doubting, when I'm anxious, when I'm afraid, I don't need you to tell me that everything's going to be okay. That's not what I need to hear from you. 
because everything might not be okay. What I need you to tell me is that Jesus is mine and I am his. I need you to tell me that God has redeemed me by the blood of Jesus and that nothing can change that. I'm a child of God and he is for me. I need you to tell me that Christ lives in me and nothing can separate me from his love. He's with me and I will be with him someday. This world is not my home. Those are the kinds of things I need you to tell me. Because transformation is a community project, which means I need you to preach to me. That's what it means. I need, you to, I need you to preach to me. I don't need you to point your finger at me. I try not to do that. I don't, you know what I mean? You, some, some of us have, this, have a, a, a poor conception of preaching where people are pounding and yelling and stuff. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about proclaiming, announcing, telling each other who we are because of what Jesus has done. Reminding each other who we are, who we really are. That's what it's about. It's a community project. The second thing we're told in in these couple verses here is that transformation requires a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. So the Apostle Paul urges us, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Your spiritual worship. Now, living sacrifice, that's temple language. Back in the Old Testament, actually, uh, Jews still do this today. Religious people still do this today. They bring animals into the temple, and they, they offer them to God as atonement for their sins. They, they slaughter the animal as a sacrifice to atone for their sins. That's what this language is about. It's about death. But the Apostle Paul kind of turns it on its head, and he says to offer, our, offer yourselves... As a living sacrifice. As a living sacrifice. So he's saying that here and now today, we are to offer our bodies to God as people who have been forgiven and who've been transferred from death to life. If you remember in Romans chapter 6, we read about this. Romans chapter 6, I think it's verse 13, where the Apostle Paul says, Do not present your members, that's your body parts, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. And so here's here's what it means, I think, to offer yourself to God as a living sacrifice. It means we are making ourselves available to God with no strings attached. We are taking our hands off our life. It means I'm saying to God, God, I give up my right to do whatever I want with my life. That's what it means to offer yourself to God as a living sacrifice. It means, it's, and this is about my whole life. It means I'm going to let God tell me how to live my life. I'm going to let God tell me how to spend my money. I'm going to let God tell me how to treat others, how to treat my wife, how to raise my kids, how I should work, how I should treat my boss, how I should treat my neighbors. I'm going to let God tell me how to do that. I'm not going to let external influences for, you know, conform me into, into, you know, to treat other people the way they want me to. I'm going to let God tell me how to do that. That's how transformation happens. I'm going to let God arrange my priorities and my schedule 
we're to look at our life, our work, our parenting, our relationships, our hobbies, our time, and our energy, and we're, we're saying to God, God, it's yours. However ordinary or mundane my life is, it's all yours. It's all yours. Now the question is, why would anybody give their whole life away like that? Why would anyone give their life away to God like that? And you know what the answer is? We're, we're told by the apostle here in, in verse, in verse, um, in verse uh, 1. This is your spiritual worship. And that can also be translated, this is your reasonable or logical service. In other words, when we look at God's mercies, when we look at God's mercies, when we consider his mercy, his treatment of our sin, pouring out his wrath on Jesus instead of us, forsaking Jesus instead of us, judging Jesus on the cross instead of us, uniting us to Jesus so that our relationship to sin changes, so that sin no longer can rule over us, uniting us to Jesus so that we can experience grace and freedom in our lives. When we consider all of God's mercies to us, then it is simply logical. The most intelligent, reasonable, and logical response is to let go of your life and give it to God, to, to give it all to God as a living sacrifice. This is our reasonable service. And if you're willing to do that, if you're willing to give God your best and your all, there will be no regrets, no loss, and, and, and no going back, you know? No staying the same. That's what we're told. And the other interesting thing is that the Apostle Paul says we're to give our we're to offer our bodies, plural, as a living sacrifice, singular. In other words, he's speaking to local churches and he's saying, all of you offer your bodies to God together as a single sacrifice. This is something we should be doing together. In other words, this is about our quality of life together. This is about our, our devotion to one another. This is about our life in Christ, together, as a local church. It's not about you, it's about us, really. It's about how we treat each other. It's about how we treat people outside of the church. It's about encouraging each other. That's what I think this is about, because transformation's a community project. That's what he's saying. When we come to faith in God, we are not saved in isolation from other people. God takes us and he adopts us into his family and he makes us a member of his body, the church. He unites us to Christ and then he unites us to a group of Christians and we call them the church. He unites us to a community and we're supposed to experience transformation together. I am to give myself to God by giving myself to others. That's what it means. And that's what we need to be ready to do because transformation is a community project. And the last thing the Apostle Paul tells us here is that transformation is tested. It's tested in gospel community. He says in verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
And so this word transformed, we finally arrive at this word transformed. And this word is a very interesting word in in the original language. The, The New Testament is written in Greek. And I don't know Greek very well, but I'm told that this word, this is where we get our English word for metamorphosis. That's the word. This is, the idea is that this is talking about people who've been remade and transformed into new kinds of creatures, new kinds of people with a new way of life and a new way of thinking. The image we get is a, a caterpillar changing into a butterfly. It's a new kind of creature, isn't it? And that's, that's what happens to us when we put our faith in Christ and when we're when we share our life in community with others, that's what happens to us. We embark on this new journey of transformation where we experience life with God. Life, a life free from guilt and condemnation. A life where we can give ourselves over to others without the fear of judgment or the fear of condemnation. Without fear of anyone, really. That's what, it's, that's what it means. It involves deep inward renewal. That's what he's talking about. And, and he says here that we're supposed to, once we're transformed, we're supposed to put God to the test. I mean, in a good way. We're supposed to put his word to the test. We're supposed to test and find out what God's will is. And what that means is we're supposed to take God's word and test and approve it. To test and approve God's promises. To find out if they're really true. I mean, we do this in everyday life. Some of you, some of you have um, in your job title something like quality control. Some of you are quality control specialists or something like that. And your job is to test your company's product to, to see how it can get better, to make sure it works. Someone here once told me... Um, they work for um, an information or a technology company, and they told me that their job is to break websites. So he, this, what he does every day is he goes on a, a certain company's website, and he tries to find weaknesses in it and exploit them and crash the website. That's his job. And I presume that if he can't crash the website, that it would meet his company's standards. That's his whole job. And in, in, in our job as, as Christians and followers of God is not very different when it comes to God's word. We're supposed to test and approve what God has said. We're supposed to put into practice everything that he said to find out if it's true. And when we find out that it's true, when we approve it, guess what happens? Transformation. Transformation. If, if you are bold enough and you have the kind of faith where you are willing to obey God at any cost, when you find out that God is faithful and you find out his word is true and that he's going to do what he said, you change more. And you change alongside other people. It's almost like the, it's almost like the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, I dare you to obey God and see what happens. I dare you this week to offer your body to God as a living sacrifice. I dare you to stop being conformed to this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We're going to talk about renewing of your mind next week and what that means. I dare you. When someone slanders you this week, when someone hurts you, when someone says something mean to you or or bullies you in some way, I dare you to be kind to them in return. I dare you to bless them. 
when someone hurts you and wounds you, I dare you to forgive them. I dare you to love your enemies. When your wife takes a cheap shot at you this week, instead of responding in kind, I dare you to go out of your way to show her how much you love her and bless her. That's the kind of stuff we're talking about. That's, that's real life stuff. This is not, theology is the stuff of real life. That's what, it, that's what he's telling us here. All of the great things we've been learning about God and his salvation and what the cross means and what the resurrection means, it's all about real life. It's all about how you treat other people in real life. Relationships. And that's what he's daring us to do, is to test and approve it. He's daring us to do it in the church to one another. When someone in the church rubs you the wrong way, okay? And I say when because it will happen. It will happen because we're sinners. Somebody is going to, just wait. If this is your first week, come back next week and a few more weeks. Someone will rub you the wrong way. And when that happens, I dare you to, to, to be kind to them in return, to speak well of them in return. That is the way of Christ, my friends. And you know, what, you know what happens when you do that? Transformation. You will change. You will change. That's what we're told. And do you know why you'll change? Because Jesus Christ offered himself as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. He gave his life to God. He said, God, my life is yours. My body is yours. Everything you say, I will say. Everything you're doing, I'm going to do. I'll follow you wherever you go. I'll go to the people you're going to. The brokenhearted, the disenfranchised, the poor, the religious. I'll go to all of them. And I will invite them into life with you. I'm going to show them what you're really like, Father God. That's what Jesus, that's what his whole life was about. And then at the end of his life, he became a dying sacrifice, didn't he? And he gave, you know, an animal sacrifice. Animals are always sacrificed against their will. Their legs are tied. They're placed on the altar. They're run through with a knife. And they're burned against their will. Jesus Christ willingly gave his life for us. He said, not my will, Father, but yours be done. And he allowed himself to be mistreated and arrested and falsely accused and ultimately humiliated and executed publicly in the most excruciating way on a Roman cross. And why did he do that? Why would, why would Jesus Christ, why would any man give their bodies over that way to be tortured and to suffer a humiliating death in isolation. All of Jesus' closest friends and followers pretty much abandoned him. He died alone in darkness on a cross, forsaken by everyone. Why? He didn't, listen, he didn't die to save individual people and then release them to live independently of others. He died to redeem a community. He died to bring us together under the gospel to present us holy to God. That's why Jesus died. To present to God 
a holy people, people who are set apart for him. That's what holy means, just to be, to be set apart for God. People who have let go of their life and said, I, no lo- I, I give up my right to do whatever I want to with my life. God, my life is yours. Have you done that? Have you done that with us? Have you done that with this community, with this gospel community here? Have you said, I belong to this community. I give myself to this community for its good. Because that, that, my friends, is why Jesus gave his life. You know, we've, we've been talking about membership a lot lately and, and why you should become a member of Cross Point Church. And the reason we do membership is not, it's not so that we can say, oh, okay, they're really committed and they're not committed or anything like that. We value membership because we value transformation and because transformation happens in community. That We're not going to treat you any differently if, if you're not a member the point is transformation. We want to see you become more like Jesus. That's what it's about. That's what this whole thing is about. I mean, and that excites me. That excites me. It excites me that on any given Sunday, anyone who is far from God can walk in here and see this gospel community. And, and they can hear us sing you know, they hear us sing and something happens. They hear God's word preached and something happens. They, he, they see people who they don't even know strangers welcome them into our assembly. No strings attached. And something happens. Transformation. And it excites me that anyone can come in here on a Sunday morning who's far from God and they might worship God for the first time in their life. They might decide here with us that God is worthy of their life and God is worthy of their worship. That's why we ask people, you, you to invite your friends. That's why. That's why. It's because we're excited about transformation because I've heard so many stories from people who have experienced this. I, I, I sit, I've sat down with so many people who've said, you know, we started coming to your church and we, you know, we, we, I can't believe we even came. I'm not even sure why we came, but we, we came back because people were nice to us. And then we started hearing about God, and I've never heard about God this way before. And this is really what God is like. And they started relating to God in a brand new way. They put their faith in Christ, and they're, and they're experiencing transformation. They have hope. They have hope. They have a new purpose in life. That's why. That, that excites me. I think it should excite you too. Because that's who we are. We are a transformed community. We are, we've been transformed through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are not the same. We'll never be the same. And that's what we're inviting people to. And so I'm not here to make you feel guilty. If you haven't invited anyone you know, to church next week, to the one-year anniversary, that's okay. Okay? You don't have to. If you're not comfortable doing it, that's okay. All right? I don't want you to, I don't, I don't want you to feel obligated. I want you to do it because you're excited and because you love people and you want them to experience the kind of transformation that you have. Because that, because transformation is a community project. Would you, would you join me in prayer? God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you, God, for, for everyone who's here this morning. And I pray, God, that today that you would remind us who you are, remind us of your goodness 
and your grace. Remind us of your power. Remind us, God, that no matter where we've come from, no matter how much failure we've experienced, no matter how much we, we seem to um, run up against a wall in our lives when we try to change, that you are able, God, to change us, to be more like Jesus. And you are able to use us to, to see change in the lives of others. God, we, um, we thank you for, for your grace and mercy that you've shown us in Jesus Christ. And I ask that today and the rest of this week, you would help us to keep your mercies in view. It's not, it's not the fear of you or, or guilt before you that's going to change us, God. It's, it's remembering your goodness and your mercy and your kindness. So I pray, God, that this week that, that you would remind us of how good you are and how merciful you are so that we can experience the, the life with you that you've called us to. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. I'm just going to leave you with the benediction right out of Ephesians chapter 3, beginning at verse 20. And this is what it says. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. You are dismissed.